All right, uh, before we get started this morning, let's uh, pray and go before God. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, We thank you that we have another opportunity to open it up and to talk about it and to meditate on you and all all the things you have done in the last few thousand years. Lord, we praise you. And we ask that you would teach us, that you would mold us, uh, so that our thoughts might be conformed to Christ, and that we might be more like him in how we think and how we act and how we live. Lord, thank you for this opportunity, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we have covered um, a lot of ground and not a lot of ground at the same time. We started off with covenants, uh, the covenant of redemption, and we talked about how it's the overarching plan of redemption that God set into place before time. We looked at the covenant of works before creation, or in creation with Adam. We talked about the covenant of grace uh, in Genesis 3.15, and then we jumped to uh, the Noahic covenant where we sat for a while and talked about uh, the common grace covenant. Um, but now it's time to, to move on to some other things. It's time to, to begin to see how God's covenant of grace is unfolding throughout history. Because remember, there's a covenant of redemption in the back. And the covenant of redemption is the overarching plan, and it's all of the details. But we don't get access to all of that right away. Right? We, we have questions, because after Genesis 3.15 and after common grace, we're living in this world where we have some questions of God. Who is this promised seed? Right? Who is he going to be? Um, when, was, when is he going to show up? Is it going to be a long time? Is it going to be a short time? Um, where will he come from? Right? Who will he be born to? Um, how are we to know that God is going to prevent the lineage of Eve from dying out? Um, how will this man defeat the serpent? What will life look afterwards? What's the future, far future, going to look like? All these questions about God's covenant and the covenant of redemption are in our minds because God hasn't revealed all of it yet in Genesis. So as history progresses, God will slowly reveal more and more and more of his plan um, to his people. And the Abrahamic covenant begins to answer some of those questions. Um, and we start to see the, the plan of salvation taking shape, where uh, the Lord starts to fill in details and gaps and answer questions. And, and we start to see just how grand of a scale God is operating on. So I, let's turn to Genesis 12, and we'll start to dive into the Abrahamic covenant. So in Genesis 12, um, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How do we know this is a covenant? We know that it's a covenant because God's promising. Right, there's promises. Yeah, which implies, which means there's vows. God is vowing to do something. And whenever someone vows to do something, there's a covenant implied. How else do we know it's a covenant?
John? Couldn't we say that um, all covenants has God vowing something? So every covenant falls under that, but not every covenant has curses or restrictions or mm-hmm. like the Noahic covenant, for instance. Mm-hmm. No curses in there. He just says that I'll not destroy you mm-hmm. again. And then sends the wind as a sign of that. Yeah. Yeah, so there's there's vows, and the Lord is is implying blessings, right, for this covenant. That being in this covenant with God means good things for you, Charlie. There's, I mean, he elaborates further, but there's um, offspring language or clauses, things that are alluding to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he sets it up, but when he says, um, "I'll bless you." And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We know, reading up to this, that all the earth is wicked. Every man's heart is continually wicked. And so what he's doing is he's setting up getting to the offspring here. How is all, all are, are all the families of the earth going to be blessed? Right. And it's not in Abram specifically, but it's what he's about to get to. Mm-hmm. Details. Yeah. You're, I think you're right. There's... The implication that the offspring is now going to come through Abram, because through him all the nations, all the families, rather, of the earth shall be blessed. Um, Genesis is is focused on the offspring and is focused on genealogies. In fact, chapter eleven is a genealogy, it has the Tower of Babel, Babel, and then there's a genealogy that leads through Abram and it leads further um, to Terah. Genesis, for lots of reasons, there's lots of reasons why there's genealogies in Genesis, but one of the reasons is because we're asking the question, who is the offspring going to come from? The lineage of the offspring is important because it needs to be traced back to Eve, because it needs to be the seed of Eve. And more importantly, now we're starting to see that, okay, now it's going to go through Abram. Abraham has a significant place in this lineage. Something about him is going to be special. He is going to be a great nation. And even more so, in verse 2, God says, I will bless you and make your name great. A great name only shows up a few times in Scripture. And it's one of the most important blessings that you can receive. Jesus received a great name in Philippians. He received the name that is above all names. To have a great name is very, very important. So something about Abraham is very central to God's plan of salvation. Um, There's a couple other things that show us that this is a covenant. Because in the ancient world, what you'd have is you'd have your vassals. You have what's called the suzerains, which just means they're the, the head, the covenant head. They're the... They're the bigger person, the big king. They're the strong person that promises to protect the vassals. Right? Vassals give you tribute, and you give them protection. That's exactly what God says in verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. God is saying, I will be your suzerain. I will be your, your king, and I will give you protection. But there's no reciprocal. There's no tribute that Abram has to give to God. Um, It's just how it's going to be. In essence, God is saying, I will be your God, and you will be my person, and your offspring will be my people. John, you have your hand up. So, you said that the offspring would have to be a seed 
A lot of children. You're right. So that's why we're asking the question. So where is the promised seed going to come from? What lineage is he going to come from? He has to be traced back to Eve, but now God is revealing that it's actually through Abraham's lineage. Okay, so now we've narrowed it down. Right. 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 It's going to continue to get narrowed down. You will you will begin to see. So this is how God works, right? He he gives us the big picture in the start. And then over the course of hundreds and thousands of years, he starts to narrow the picture. And we start to get closer and closer to the, to the apex, right? The climax of the story, and things are starting to get clearer and clearer and clearer. Right, the spoiler alert is that, yes, it's Abraham, and it means all of Abraham's descendants. But now we're going to ask, okay, so when we get to Israel, there's 12 tribes. They're all Abraham's descendants, but which of the 12 tribes? We get David. And the covenant with David, and God narrows it even further, saying it's going to be your son. It's going to be a son of David, a Judah, someone of the clan of Judah that will come. And we get to Jesus. And we trace Jesus' lineage back to David, back to Abraham, back to Eve. So we're starting to get the narrower and narrower picture. But we're not quite there. Now we're just we're simply seeing that God is is narrowing it from, you know, here to here. <laughs> because he's saying he's going to create out of Abraham a great nation. Um, so we know this is a covenant of grace, right? Because there's no conditions placed upon Abraham. There's no obligations that he has to fulfill in order to receive these blessings. Um, there's nothing inherent in Abraham. Right? We, we could ask the question, so why did God choose Abraham instead of someone else in the city? Because John has a point, right? There's lots of sons of, of Eve. God could have chosen a lot of them. Why did he choose Abraham? And if we look in Abraham to find the answer, we're not going to find one. There's nothing about him in particular that sets him apart. Uh, And the same thing will happen with Israel. God will say to Israel, I didn't choose you because you were numerous. I didn't choose you because you're strong. I didn't choose you because you're all beautiful. I didn't choose you because you're all really good at sports. I, I chose you because I love you. And... Well, that doesn't always make a lot of sense. Well, why does he love us? That's the truth. God loved Abraham, and so he chose him and gave him these promises. Um, so how does, how does this covenant with Abraham, how does it begin to, unsh- um, what's the right word? How does it begin to sh- expand on Genesis 3.15? Because Genesis 3.15, right, the seed of the woman is going to come and crush the serpent. Lots of good stuff. How is this covenant with Abraham expanding and showing us more details? What further details are we receiving? God's creating a a certain people for himself. 
gives them a land. Why is land important? It's a place. It's, uh, it's a place for them to live and be, and that's where God will provide for their needs. It's a promise, really. Yeah. There's a, a book that I've been reading about the importance of receiving land and landedness, because we as humans, we desire landedness, and we live in an era of urbanity, right? We live in cities that we rent a lot. We don't have land. Um, Our connection to place is very, very vague and abstract. When God gives land to Abraham, he's giving him a definite, certain identity, even. Something that he can hold on to. Um, It's it's a huge blessing for people who suffer from estrangement. Um, yeah, and God promises divine protection, blessings all around. We begin to see that God chooses a certain people, but through that people, all of the world will be blessed. So something about Abraham and his offspring is receiving special attention from God, but through them, the whole, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we see that God has both a particular goal and a a worldwide goal. That even here in Genesis 12, he's beginning to think about and talk about how he's going to bless people who aren't Abraham's descendants. So we're reading it right all the way on this side of the history. So we get to look back and see how even then God was talking about how he's going to bless the Gentiles. Which is important um, because that's why we're here. We would not be here if not for the Abrahamic covenant. Because we are those families of the earth that have been blessed. Unless you are Jewish. I don't think anyone in here is Jewish. But there's a... Oh, Marge is Jewish. Well, never mind. <laughs> um, you're the blessing to all of us, Marge. Um, yeah, it's, it's important for us. John, did you get your hand up? Yeah, is there a genealogical link between Seth and Abraham? Do you remember reading that? Um, between Seth and Abraham? Yeah. I don't remember. I would have... Yes? Well, in the sense that all, everybody who survived the flood, except from Seth, because Noah is the end of the genealogy in chapter 5. So Cain's entire ethnic line is wiped out, though not his spiritual line. Yeah. There's... Because remember in Genesis 3.15, God says there's going to be... Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, God says there are going to be two lineages, right? There's going to be the seed of the, of, the, of the woman and seed of the serpent. Cain and his spiritual descendants are the seed of the serpent. Um, Seth and his spiritual descendants are the seed of the woman. And so we're, we're narrowing with Abraham to say, okay, it's going to come from Abraham's descendants. Charlie? Yeah, the, the genealogy is in chapter 11, just in case it was Um, so the next few chapters are going to continue to oh, Jonathan you have a question so you said that Cain's line would be the line of serpents and that Abel's line Abel died so his mom's line Seth's line after the flood and everything would be the 
seed of God. And throughout the Bible, I've never mentioned, I've never heard God mention this kind of spiritual barrier between the two. Like, what's preventing them from meeting and being there? What's preventing? Not a lot. <laughs> How do you even know which of the which half that person that he from. So the genealogies throughout Scripture, there's supposed to be a division, but the genealogies reveal that there's a lot of not keeping the division. Israel intermarried with the other nations in Canaan. When you read Jesus' genealogy, it's, it's a mess. There's a lot of people there who are both sinners and also non-Israelites. Um, but the point is not to keep that ethnic line super, super strict. The point is that God is using even the seed of the serpent to achieve his goals. Even if that means that there's intermarriage, God is still, his heir is going to come and his offspring is going to come. And it's going to be a son of Abraham. So the next few chapters, Michelle. <laughs> because it's not so much about your bloodline, it's about faith. Right. So those people in Jesus' lineage had faith. Then I guess that was not a spoiler. No. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Thank you. Um, Michelle's right. It's, it's not so much about the genealogy and the bloodline as it is about faith. Um, and the Pharisees got it backwards, right? The Pharisees thought that because they had the bloodline, then they were safe. In reality, Jesus confronted them and said, you, you have the bloodline, but you don't have faith. You're not sons of Abraham. You're actually sons of the devil because you're, you have excluded yourself. You are part of the line, the seed of the serpent, because you have not clung to Jesus Christ in faith. Um, that's why... Brett called it a, Pastor Brett called it a, uh, a spiritual lineage. Um, okay, any more questions or comments? Okay, next few chapters um, begin to unpack and formalize these promises of Genesis 12. So Genesis 13, um, turn over there. And we're going to read, uh, turn to verse uh, uh, 14. And in verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So now we get even more specific. Right? In chapter 12, God says, I'm going to give you a land. In chapter 13, God says, I'm going to give you this land. This land of Canaan is going to be your land. I'm going to give it to you and to your offspring forever. And he also expands the promise to not just a land, to not just a great nation, but now as many as, if you could count the dust of the earth, you could count how many kids you're going to have. Like that's a pretty, it's a pretty wild thing. Think about being a great, 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 grandparent to like billions of kids. That's what we're talking about. And the expanse of the promise, the 
how, how big this promise is, it's easy to get lost in it. Because Abram is just some random guy. In a sense, right? He's, he's living in a city, doing his own thing with his own family. And God says, leave everything. Leave your family. Leave your home. Leave everything that you've ever known and everything that you've ever built. Because I'm going to give you something better. In essence, the Lord calls him out of the, out of the world and into his kingdom. And his kingdom is going to be populated by... <laughs> However many, you know, however many kids it's going to be, the dust of the earth. Um, the, I guess the analogy for us would be, imagine if a, a billionaire called you out of the blue right, and said you're going to get um, uh, a mansion, a lifetime supply of, uh, I don't know, whatever your favorite snack is. Um, you're going to get $300 billion. Um, all of your kids are going to live in this mansion. And also you're going to have one, one trillion kids. Like, out of the blue, he calls you and gives you all these things for free. Like, it's hard to wrap our minds around because of how amazing this promise is. But God doesn't even stop there. Turn to Genesis 15. Because here's, here's the problem. Abraham says, that sounds great, God. I can't wait to have lots of kids. One problem, I'm 100 years old. And my bones are very, very, very old. How am I going to have kids? I don't have an heir. That's what uh, Abraham says. Uh, So Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So what is God giving Abraham in Genesis 15? Um, a kids. Bunch of kids. I don't Yep. <laughs> yeah. He's giving him an heir, which is significant because... Abraham doesn't have one. The person who would, so if Abraham were to die, someone that was not part of his bloodline, some random servant or, or someone who is working for him or something like that, that person would inherit. Um, God says, I'm going to give you your own child. What else does God promise? Or what else does God give to Abraham? He says, I'm going to be your shield. I will be... Yeah, Sean? Gives him righteousness. Gives him righteousness. That's... It, it seems like that comes out of the blue. A little bit. Right? God is giving all these promises. 
And then verse 6, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. What is, what is God giving him? So he's giving him righteousness. What does that mean? Why is that important? Think of it this way. Through the covenant with Adam, does man stand right with God, or is man alienated from God and stand condemned? Well, if you put it that way, man was right with God, but now stands condemned after sin. Right. So, through the covenant with Adam... Abraham stood condemned under God. So when God says, I'm giving you this covenant, it's more so than just, I'm going to give you a bunch of kids and land. Through faith in God, he's giving Abraham righteousness, which means Abraham is now in right status with God. He's no longer condemned. He's now righteous. How can that be? How can you just get righteousness from believing? Don't you get righteousness from doing good things? It's God's gift. Through what? What's the instrument of that gift? How do you receive that gift? Faith. Faith. Faith in what? God's promises. God's promises. This is the gospel. The covenant with Abraham is a covenant of grace, which means that if you believe in God and believe his promises to be yes and amen through Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. You will receive righteousness. Jesus is not going to come for, you know, however many thousands of years. He's not on the picture. Abraham's never heard of Jesus. He's never heard of Bethlehem. The place didn't exist, probably. He's just now in Canaan. And yet, He believes God. And because, however far along the line, Jesus is going to die for Abraham's sins and live a perfect life, that righteousness is given to Abraham through faith in the promises. So, when we talk about the covenants, it's easy, right, to think, well, we're saved by faith over here, and it's just kind of fuzzy what happens with the Old Testament saints, Right? What, what's going on with the Old Testament saints? How are they saved? Are they part of the covenant? Do they receive righteousness? Do they receive... Right? How does it work with them? And the answer is the same. But it's faith in future promises. We have faith in a promise already fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We're both looking towards the same, the same event, just from different sides of history. And faith in that event, that cross, is what saves us. So our Old Testament saints are truly united to us in Christ. They're not part of a separate covenant. They're not a separate people. These are the same people of God, saved by faith in Christ. Um, So when we go to heaven, we're going to get to see Abraham and Sarah and all the people who believed in the promises. And that's part of the amazing part of covenant theology and why dispensationalism doesn't work. It creates a hard divide between the peoples of God. You're either part of Israel in dispensationalism or you're part of the church, which is plan B. Two different paths of salvation. 
We say no. Covenant theology teaches us that there's one path of salvation, and we are on that same path. We're just looking at it from the outside, or not the outside, from the opposite side of history, and we're in it because God first gave the covenant to Abraham and said, through you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jonathan. So, what was that word that you just used? I used a lot of words. Dispensationalism. Dispensationalism. So dispensationalism is a different understanding and interpretation of the Bible that teaches that God works in different ways through different dispensations, which means different ages. God has a different plan for each age of history. We're part of a different age than Israel was, and so God has a different plan for us than he did for Israel um, in the Old Testament. We say that all of Scripture is united, all of God's people is united, there's one path of salvation, whether you are Israel or whether you're part of the body of Christ and the church today. So there's no, there's no separation between Israel and the church. And dispensationalism says there is a separation. So I have a question for all of you, as we think about these things, um, how do we know who will inherit these promises? In other words, God says in verse 18, on that day, this is chapter 15, verse 18, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, Commodites, Hittites, Perizzites, uh, Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Who's that offspring? The offspring that God would give everything to? Okay. So how do you know if you're part of the offspring or not? You need to believe in Jesus. Okay. So it doesn't matter if you're Ancestry.com. If you, could, if you can trace that back to Abraham, right? You go on 23andMe or Ancestry.com. As long as you can trace it back to Abraham, shouldn't that be enough? Doesn't that make you an offspring of Abraham? Yes, and You're an offspring of Abraham, but you're not an offspring of Abraham. You're okay. Let's open it up to everyone. So what do you think? Who's the offspring? Is it your ancestry.com? Or is it something else? Dave? It's the people of God. Okay. And that isn't traced like you say by lineage. It's traced by faith. Okay. God appoints us to faith. And he promises that salvation uh, through this covenant that, that comes eventually down to Christ who paid the penalty for sin. And if we look to that as our sure hope, that's what we cling to and know, or this is how I'm one of the people of God, that I have faith in God. Okay. Let me throw a wrench at you. Um, in Genesis 17, 
God says this, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Uh, And then jump down to verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So you just said that it's faith that makes us Abraham's offspring. But God just says that if you're not circumcised, you're not part of the covenant. Which means, right, obviously, that if you're circumcised, you're part of the covenant, right? What do you mean? So I got to do some heart surgery first? So what about our kids then? How do we know that they're circumcised in their hearts? Are they member are they not members of the covenant until that? Let me summarize. I think you're right. Let me summarize. Um, To circumcise yourself and your children was an act of faith. And the act of faith was what united you to, to God in covenant. To fail to circumcise yourself or your children was an act of unbelief. And thus, you were not part of the covenant. So as long as... Let me, let me say it a different way. 
Jeremiah 4.4 says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. In other words, the external circumcision is not the point. If you make it about the external sign and say, well, as long as I've got the external, I'm part of the covenant, God says, no. It's actually the deeper realities that the external sign is pointing to. You could circumcise yourself, you could circumcise your kids and not have faith and not believe the covenant promises. What truly unites you to the Lord is not the external but the inward faith that drives the person to do the external. Right? You, God's people want to circumcise their kids because they believe the promises of God and they, and they want, they believe God and they want to obey and fulfill his covenant and be part of the covenant. And God says that this promise is not simply for Abraham, but it's for Abraham and his offspring. And that's why we, he would circumcise males eight days old. It's, we think that would be a little weird, right? Why would you... They, they don't get a choice. They don't get to say, well, I want to be a part of the covenant. I want to have an act of faith. That's not the point. The point is, if you're part of God's family, you're part of the covenant. But faith is what truly unites you to God. I'm probably not saying all of that super clearly, and I'm sorry. Michelle. Earlier in the lessons, you just defined a covenant as, as like it, it's creating details around a relationship that already exists. And circumcision is one of those details. Like you're not going to circumcise your son unless you already believe in God at some level, right? The son obviously doesn't have any belief yet, but it's it's an act of faith, like. When Joshua and then crossed the Jordan, none of them were circumcised because they had to be. They were circumcised after they crossed, but they were already following God. Mm-hmm. And when God told them, "Okay, now wait outside this wall of Jericho and circumcise yourselves and wait for whatever three days," that was also an act of faith. They were following God. Yeah, you're you're hitting some of the true things that it's. So let me take a step back. And sh- so there's, there's a couple of extremes. There's the extreme of, I don't believe God and I'm not going to do this, this silly circumcision thing. That's clearly an act of unbelief. If you're a descendant of Abraham by lineage and yet you don't have faith, you don't believe, you're not part of the covenant. The Pharisees are on the opposite end of the extreme where they, they are not just... Parts, they're not just um, tracing their lineage to Abraham, but they have done the externals. Right? They have circumcised themselves, and they've said, well, I've checked all the boxes, I've fulfilled all the law, and thus I'm part of the covenant. And Jesus comes and says, actually, no. You could do all the external stuff. That's not what actually makes you an heir of Abraham. What makes you an heir of Abraham is faith. So circumcision is not what actually makes you an heir of Abraham. Circumcision is an outward sign. But what truly unites you and makes you an heir of the promises is faith. And that's Jesus' point to the Pharisees. Um, the external sign, however, is given to not just the adults, but it's given to the children as well. Because God says, I'm making this promise to you and to your children. 
And the promise is, if you have faith, you will be saved. If you believe my promises, you will be an inheritor of them. So the promise is given to our kids. Right? We baptize infants. It's because of the Abrahamic covenant. Because Paul will link the two. He says there's circumcision, and he links it to baptism, which is now our sign, our, our connection point to the promises of God. Because in baptism, God promises. He makes promises to us, and he makes promises to our children. That if you have faith, you'll be saved. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, we're out of time. Oh, sorry, Steve. Right. So at the end of chapter 15, where he talks about to your offspring, I'll give this land. Um, would you see that as, as a comment directly to the physical descendants of Abraham, regardless of faith, that you will give them this, this physical land on earth at this, this certain time? It is kind of a, 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 to me, I see that as a comment, not the spiritual descendants of Abraham, but the physical descendants of Abraham. Just according to lineage, they will get this land because they are physically mm-hmm. you know it's not it's not the believers who receive it mm-hmm. it's the believers and unbelievers right all those physical descendants at least that's how I see like kind of like you know I see that there's that typological picture of, of God's people and God's kingdom that, that begins there that is through solely through the physical lineage also yeah and so it's a good question and I want to get there when we start talking about how is the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled so we have promises of a land and of a people how do those get fulfilled in history um, and we'll, we'll start to unpack that I think probably next, next time we meet which is in three weeks yeah not for the next two so we're taking a break for two weeks right as we get going again um, so in three weeks we'll, we'll pick up where we left off and start talking about how is the Abrahamic covenant um, fulfilled. Um, thank you all for your questions. If you have any more questions or you want to keep talking about these things, I'm always available. Um, but let's pray and prepare our hearts for worship. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for uh, your promises that you've made to us and to our kids. We thank you, Lord, that you, you love us, you love our children, and that you have said, do not prevent them from coming to you. And Father, we praise you for this, this truth and your grace and your mercy. And we pray that you would help us to, um, to continue to learn and grow in our faith. That we would continue to learn to love you. And to be thankful for all the things that you've done for us. Please prepare our hearts for worship this morning as we prepare to come before you to hear your word proclaimed. And to receive the supper. We thank you for your blessings, Lord. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.